This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Hey, everybody, David Lasondak here, host of Body Talk, structural integrator, author, and fascia specialist at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And I'm here because this episode of Body Talk needs a special introduction. But before we introduce our guest for the week, I have to talk about something else that happened this week that I thought was absolutely fantastic. And I'm talking specifically about William Shatner going off into space. Yep. Now, we can talk about and we can debate about going into space versus spending money here on Earth where we need help. And my point of view is we can do both things. We can explore all of our frontiers, whether it's space or the ocean depths, and we can do things to make the planet a better place. No reason that we can't do both. Don't even want to have that discussion. So I have to tell you, I was happy all day because those of you who know me know that uh, Star Trek was very important to me growing up for a lot of reasons. And to see Bill Shatner, 90 years old this man is, climb seven flights of stairs to get to the rocket. I guess because Jeff Bezos is too cheap to build an elevator. So he had to walk seven flights of stairs to get into the rocket. Then he gets shot up into space and has to be resilient enough to handle five Gs. So basically five times your own weight pressing down on you until you get up into weightlessness. Oh, and then return. So, you know, physiologically, it's a bit of a stressor. And that dude's 90. He don't look 90. Whatever 90 is supposed to be, that's the 90 I want to be. And what was amazing, if you didn't see it, there'll be a link in the show notes, is the profound effect that this experience had on him. And uh, Jeff Bezos is there like, hey, get the champagne. And Shatner's like, yeah, get that away from me, man. And he's trying to explain to Jeff Bezos what a life-changing impact this moment had on him. And is he said, I hope I never recover from this experience. He was also on CNN talking about the experience. And he said, I wish I had better news and more entertainment and jokes to tell you, but I was moved to tears by what I saw. And you can see that in the video that I linked to in the show notes. He gets choked up several times. He goes on to say in the CNN interview, I come back filled with overwhelmed by sadness and empathy for this beautiful thing we call earth. We're at the tipping point and we haven't got time to wait 30 years and argue about a few billion dollars. Burying your head in the sand another instant about global warming and the destruction of the planet is suicide for all of us. So Captain Kirk goes into space and comes back profoundly changed by the event, as you would expect, as I would hope we would all be by seeing the earth from space. And I'm going to go back to a quote from somebody else who saw the earth from space. Orbiting earth in the spaceship, I saw how beautiful our planet is. People, let us preserve and increase this beauty, not destroy it. And that was said in 1961 by Yuri Gagarin, the Russian who was the first man to go into space. Quoting Yuri Gagarin allows me to talk about one of my other favorite Russians. He's a guest on the show today. Uh, his name is Leonid Blylam. 
And what happened is uh, he and I got to talking before we were officially doing the body talk interview. And before I knew it, we were in it without any kind of formal start. So let me set this up. I met Leonid in 2010 in Ulm, Germany at the first Fascia Summer School. His original degree is in cybernetics, but he is a manual therapist who works specifically with children with cerebral palsy and use an approach that he calls advanced biomechanical rehabilitation. There's going to be some links in the show notes to his website. There's going to be a link to some of his videos about working with cerebral palsy. Some really, really great stuff there. But Leonid has a big brain. He has some really excellent ideas about what's really going on underneath the skin when we work with people. So if you are a body worker in any way, shape or form, or, you know, a self-massage person, there's a lot to unpack and think about in this episode of Body Talk, which begins now. Roll in here. The first thing we're going to talk about is what you mean by light touch? In that sense, I would uh, kind of go with the obvious, right? So by the yeah. light touch, we just go with the obvious as like, what is it? What mm -hmm. we would perceive as the light, yes, minimal, minimal kind of interaction. So I don't think that we have to overcomplicate it, right? So you see, just no, we in don't. that sense, we don't. But but you're not that talking, sense, you're not talking Reiki either. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we talk yeah, about just, exactly. you know, like mm -hmm. say just the minimal contact, right? So it's aware and, mm -hmm. you know, the question there is that, of course, if we like historically, what is the, the key thing, right? So you see, if we look at the history of manu manual medicine overall and the history of rehabilitation, if I actually put it in under the label of the under the umbrella of manual medicine as well because if you look at the physical therapist doing the stretching or any other kind of type of money or joint mobilizations and so on so in fact you know technically it goes into the same department right so you see it goes into the same uh, like domain of the direct hands-on interaction with the body but the thing is that everything is coming from the far end of their uh, like stress uh, strain curve. Mm -hmm. So it comes from there, okay, here is the muscle, which is short. Okay, now what kind of force do we need to release it, you know, like get mm -hmm. over the contraction. So it comes from that part where you are actually implying the forces which are significant enough to overcome the like literal material resistance of this kind of tight collagen bundles and induce at least a micro injury, right? So you see, that's the logic of the release if we talk about it historically. Yeah. But what we are seeing progressively through the, let's say, starting with the 70s, 80s, is that the whole manual medicine and, you know, the whole field, manual medicine, massage, and so on and so on. So like massage therapies and so on, everything really softened. So you got to the point when people go to the level of like I know, craniosacral therapy, and that's where you just get their physical touch, but that touch itself is so light and so kind of minimal, then mm -hmm. it kind of brings us into this dilemma. The language is still of the releases and everything else. It still comes from the 
field of the significant impacts, right? right. And then, but the touch itself, the, the impact which is being physically delivered is very, very minimal. So how do we reconcile this dilemma? So that's okay. really the thing which I find uh, one of the most important, right? Because then people sort of, most most of the times the therapists just kind of escape this question and switch it to whatever energies neurology whatever internal something but not really like anything tangible so that was really my okay. entire like thing with that particular chapter in that particular book right is that mm -hmm. to address this particular question because and that's what I was trying to like say at the beginning. And that was also made me excited about that particular project about the scars, because if anything, you know, you, when you look at the scars, that's kind of the ultimate representation of the inextensible bundle, right? It's that's what it is right. by definition. So in that respect, people like Jen Trivarta and, you know, Sharon Wheeler, who actually, like represent the, one of the schools of the kind of the light work with mm -hmm. scars. So they are exactly the examples of this dilemma because if you look at what they're doing, right? So you see this, if you look at them from the outside and kind of hear, hear to what they say or just see or even measure what they do, that would be just like a super light contact that they present to their is like, established multi-year like this colloid scar on a person so they get a touch there and then you know they claim that mm -hmm. they do the release Damn. you know yeah my my point i mean but mm -hmm. because when they claim i say they mm -hmm. start describing their experiences how they you know the tissue yields under their hands and what they feel and how they experience and so on and mm -hmm fact is you know over a certain spectrum you see the results you see indeed quite a lot of miracle cases when you this do. kind of super light I... touches really deliver very visible transformations of those scars so and that kind of effectively makes it into the ultimate case right so that's why you know like yeah. this cybernetic education is the one that you really want like drives you to think in terms of the best possible examples right so when you have the most concentrated dilemma so mm -hmm. because you see when people are working with the releases of the muscles and then the person like whatever in the low back pain or whatever else right it's right a lot of it's a lot of free room there like was it a release of the muscle was it neurogenic was it whatever maybe it was just a kind of protective pain spasm and that it released but the scar is very very tangible it's yes. like even you know like that's what you get even if you go for the at the cadaver and try to kind of it dulls the scalpel so and in that respect this is where we come to the point that you know the release of the scar under the light touch makes zero sense from the scientific point of view. Right. And, and you talk about a 100-fold effectiveness claim. Where, where did that 100-fold number come from? I wouldn't remember the numbers out of my head, but you see, 
because and also I have for the American audiences, I have to recalculate them into the pounds of force from the you know grams <laughs> per meter, you know, from the pascals. Curse you, not so, being metric, America. Yeah. So, uh, but overall, let's say if you are, if we are talking about the forces applied by the therapist being in the region of one, two, three, whatever pounds, you know pounds of force per square inch mm -hmm. and the breaking of the collagen bundles requires a hundred pounds of their force per square inch so that's where we have a hundred x mismatch okay All so right. that's very like simple numerical calculation so therefore effectively when the person doing the light touch claims that they are producing the release of the tight fascia bundles and kind of those kind of super glued collagen uh, things in the form of the scar, effectively, that's the equivalent of the release that I somehow managed to deliver a hundredfold uh, magnification factor to what I'm doing. Okay. I just sort of restated the problem, reformulated it in a more numeric form to kind of to catch the to catch the essence of the dilemma. And by the way, I feel like we're already into it, so we're just going to roll with it. And I'm going to record an, an intro to this because I feel like we're already in the conversation. Why should we start over again? <laughs> if that's good for you, yeah, that's fine with me. Okay. You know. um, you see, this... I remember this. You know, like when was mm -hmm. it? I think it was in Ulm, right? And yeah. I think it was in Ulm, Ulm in 2010. Yes. I remember that very well when you were filming something there. And I was very impressed with the way that you moved with the with the camera, right? And sort of, and that's where you said, "Well, I know I am a mobile. Tri I mean, I am wow. the mobile tripod and the stabilizer at the same time." And the, what is the, what's the name of the cam, the cam, the whatever? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so no, I so always, that was, thank you very much. I I really worked toward uh, to. You know, I don't move the camera. I move my body around the camera. That's it. So that's so the, my point. So I remember stable, that yeah. very, mm -hmm. that very wow. well, you know, from 2010. And mm -hmm. you see when, you know, like uh, for me, that basically tells everything I need to know about your professionalism. So, you know, like <laughs> whatever you need in terms of editing, you know, okay. I and can. Little, little, little did you know, little did you know that there was this whole other side of me besides the camera. <laughs> that we got to know each other over the years for which that's, I'm that's true. That's grateful. true. So one of the things that really intrigues me, and it's always been one of my uh, theoretics in, in this release movement field is the role of the fibroblasts in laying down the collagen or eating up the collagen based on the mechanical input. And, and you said something here, that surprised me or I'm um, getting it backwards. But if I look here, it says increases in stiffness should trigger mechanisms that render the extracellular matrix more compliant and decreases in stiffness would trigger pathways that result in stiffening. That surprised me because I, I would expect that if you're, if you're increasing the stiffness, the ECM would get more, would get less compliant in resistance to that force. 
So there, there's something about that. I want to unpack this because I, I, I please do because yeah. actually this is the thing which is uh, oh which is there. That's a description. It's mm -hmm. even not mine, right? So yeah, see, this Humphrey, is taken. Humphrey, this is taken from Humphrey, right? And that's the way he just well. That's a description of their uh, you know of the essence of the mechanical uh, or biomechanical homeostasis, right? So basically with the whole idea that you have two separate pathways for regulating the stiffness elements and the compliance elements right so you see like but they are overlapping and and they are overlapping and kind of giving us a resultant thing so the what he's talking about there is that if the stiffness increases then you know ab above certain desired average level that is deemed you know internally best uh, mm -hmm. for their mechanical homeostasis then that increase of stiffness would switch on the mechanisms would actually make the system more compliant in order to reduce it it's like a thermostat in that sense right so okay. so that's Increased stiffness requires will will trigger excess stiffness will trigger the uh, activation of the mechanisms yes, which right, increase right, compliance in, in, and the mm -hmm. and the ex excess compliance will trigger the mechanisms which activate the growth increase of stiffness. Okay, so that that makes more sense because and this is where we get to um, the perils of language and nomenclature. So when I see the word compliant or compliancy. I'm thinking about it from the clinician's perspective. Is my patient compliant? Do they show up on time? Do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very stretch that I get. So I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If they're not compliant, that means they're resisting. So it means <laughs> it means a right. It means a very different thing in this context from my context, which is sometimes part of the difficulty of trying to read and and understand uh, some of these things because the, the language can be uh, needlessly confusing outside of a very narrow context. Well, but you see, this is really one of the points which is very important because I'm obviously using the word stiffness and compliance here in a strict sense from the mechanics. Right, and in, in, in the strict mechanics, the definition of stiffness is? Well, the definition of stiffness mm -hmm. is there, you know, it's the increase of stiffness ratio. Yes. <laughs> so the ability to resist a force. Their ability to resist and compliance is the decrease. So the compliance is the one where it's, you know, the resistance is going down. So in fact, excess comp compliance, that means that it's very, very loose, like spready and doesn't hold, right? Very, very stiff. That's their very this ultimate stiffness is rigidity that's a very important thing which is kind of a trouble of language also for their you know for the kind of clinical profession biological professions and so on because we in in those professions everything is very concrete so mm -hmm. for like one of my standard and favorite examples right so you see like if the certain value, a certain value, right? A certain number is a, say, is a constant, right? So you see X mm -hmm. equals, I know, five, right? Yeah. So then 
it's very difficult for the people to understand that if x is a variable, right? So if you make x into a variable, so a constant is just a subset of a variable. So, you know, constant belongs to a certain range where the variable is defined. Yeah, so not, constant not is not a special itself. thing. Yeah. It's just, you know, like variable is a more general condition mm -hmm. than that. So the same thing, if we talk about stiffness, you sort of imply the word stiffness implies the range of stiffness, right? If we talk about compliance, it's mm -hmm. the range of compliance like, through, uh, flexibility through which or elasticity implies a range. It's not a that's specific. It. Value. So you have to be so, and in that sense, you know, if you look at that, so that means that when we visualize, when we visualize that kind of a tractor of the, you know, that uh, the, the basin or whatever, the tractor, the self-stabilization the mm -hmm. of the mechanical homeostasis. So that's where you can see that this process deals with kind of these four principal mechanisms, right? So you see it could, you know, come with the increase of the internal stiffness or it comes with the mechanisms of the decrease of the internal stiffness, and it comes with the mechanisms of the increase of the internal, compli internal compliance or decrease of the internal compliance, right? But in that sense, they kind of cross-oriented. Increase compliance would be in the same direction as the decrease stiffness, right? Yes. But yes, it's, then it's one might say, direction, yeah. uh, that, but then one it, might say, guys, you know, like, why do you actually need these two different words, you know, like increase compliance versus mm -hmm. decrease stiffness? Are you kind of just kind of making things unnecessarily complicated? But that's exactly what gives you this thing is that- Oh no, it's about being precise. It's about being precise. But it's not just being precise, it's about having different mechanisms there and different timings there, right? Okay. So in that sense, for example, when we talk about the viscoelastic you know, the viscoelastic uh, items, right? So you see the same viscoelastic thing is capable of having the response. The, the response is different depending on the profile and the timing of the load, right? So you see, if you take a standard, you know, U-black, so like this um, cornstarch, you know, mix with water, right? right? So you mm -hmm. see, if you give it a quick instant squeeze, it responds as a stiff item, right? So you see it stiffens. If you give it the slow squeeze, it actually behaves like a liquid. So it actually shows the compliance. Yeah. So you know, I the actual mechanisms, mechanisms of compliance mm -hmm. increase or decrease. So it's like getting thicker, you know, thicker, with, you know, like the liquid which gets thicker, that's the decrease of the compliance, right? But it's not really stiffness because it's responding with the it's the way how it complies with the loads, right? But whilst the stiffness refers more to the instant, you know, by definition, it's more from the instantaneous things, right? So you see, that's why when you describe the longer term process, mm -hmm. you're speaking more of the compliance. So how compliant it under yeah. the constant loads and what is the profile there whilst it's speaking of stiffness you're discussing more how it responds in the instantaneous range so that's why you need two separate definitions right, right. and then of and course there are also times when they overlap each other so that's why you want the four of them and that's okay okay that 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 tracks and in for the listeners um 
who maybe are more on the movement tip of things, Leonid's talking about where you mix cornstarch and water and show the difference in how you can, how you interact with it in a manual way can change the way it reacts to you. And and I thought of something, did you read Dune? Did you read Frank Herbert's Dune? It's a classic science fiction book. No. Um, okay. So I got to explain this now. So one of the things in the book was that the, the ruling class had these personal shields. They were like force fields and they protected you from injury and in fights. But what could get through the shield was a very slow, deliberate movement, fast, hard. It would, you would bounce right off it. But if you could get in there really slowly, you could get through the shield. And that's exactly like the cornstarch thing. And I never thought about that before. So for my sci-fi fans, there's another metaphor for you. That's a great metaphor. That's a great metaphor because actually this is exactly the thing which also leads us in, you know, in a, I think it's a great metaphor when we talk about the spasticity, rigidity, and all this kind of extremes of the neurological troubles, because this is where, you know, everybody's trying to attack them, right? So it's like the stretching yeah, and all the other forceful things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's right up the valley of their viscoelasticity so that it has both properties right but the same material has both properties into it but depending on what you do you know like what kind of load is there so Mm -hmm. stiffness wise it will respond one way compliance wise it respond the other way so in that sci-fi thing it means that uh, you know the compliance the compliance overrides the stiffness. That's kind of, but it's in a go. different time frame, right? So you see, that's that's what is a very important thing. There is mm-hmm. actually it's the it's the profile of loading, it's the profile of loading, and it's the time, it's the it's 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 per, it's uh, the the time parameter which is critical. Yeah. So the other thing that impresses me about what you're doing here is your ability to apply mathematics, which to me is a very linear uh, progression to a very non-linear biological system. You talk about wild in mild non-linearity. So could you explain that? Okay, but let me put it like this, right? So what we hear in their sort of media and so on about the 21st century sciences can sound more very much like extension of what has been happening in the 20th century, rather right? like, like genetic engineering, genomes and all these kind of things, which is all kind of exciting, but very impractical. But at the same time, there is lots of this kind of sort of fields of science which have emerged in the last 10, 15 years. And they're all kind of under this big umbrella of their complexity sciences, right? So you see, which are actually super interesting. And, you know, like they will have all sorts of these strange names like peridynamics, mesomechanics, contact mechanics, Mm -hmm. and so on. And you see the specifics of our, of the science in this new century is that the most interesting things are happening at the industrial sciences, right? So you see where the theory, where you kind of meet the constraints of matter. And that's very different because historically, the way that sort of science, especially let's say physics and so on has been developing, you know, you have the high priests, you know, 
all the known names, I know, Planck, Einstein, and so on, right? So mm -hmm. the high priests of theoretical physics who kind of figure out the most general equations, right? right. So they are the, at the top of the temple. Then you've got the bunch of the applied sciences. So you see, they will say, okay, we take this equation and, you know, apply it somewhere locally, electrodynamics, hydrodynamics, mm -hmm. whatever, aerodynamics, and so on, right? And, and then, you know, after that goes the level of the industrial or technological scientists who say, say, okay, we've got the equations. Now, how do we mix these equations? Where do we round up the numbers? And so on and so on. And these are kind of unknown people, right? So they are just the practical yeah, they're, they're like the engineers who are redoing yeah. uh, the sewer system outside my house here. They're saying, okay, we have all this stuff. Let's put it together and do something in this neighborhood. Then we'll move sort on of. to do the next job. Yeah. So, but and currently, you know, like with the new materials and so on, uh, there's lots of new things happen. So basically it's these people who are studying like these properties, whatever, of the rubber, metal alloys, you know, like uh, oh, yeah. different composite materials and so on. So who face the fact that they actually have to change the mathematics behind it and expand, you know, expand the whole kind of fabric of it and start like bringing new interpretations. But the problem is that these people, they really come with like paradynamics, for example, right? So you see, that's mm -hmm. a, you know, that's a paradynamics, it's so-called the non-local theory of elasticity, right? Which means that the, uh, the original theory of elasticity is based on the definitions, you know, from, let's say, Cauchy, which are coming from the 1820s, you know, well, there's Navier's talks and so on. So that's, that's 1820s, 1810s, 1830s, right? So you see, that's where the science for the continuous, uh, you know, for the continuum mechanics has been, you know, developed. And it's been kind of working pretty well for 200 years, but then when it comes to those new things, it's not working, right? So you see, they're coming with the new mathematics, they're coming with the new, you know, with the new definitions and so on. But because all of those are very kind of specific industry sciences, so the paradox is they're talking about the most generalizable things by doing them in a the very small niches, okay. because there may be like a thousand people who would read this journal of paradynamics and I may probably being generous, right? So maybe there are 500 <laughs> people yeah. or 200 people around the world who read it mm -hmm. and that's it. You know, the same thing with mesomechanics or whatever the contact mechanics, right? And plus they're being sponsored by a certain industry, rubber industry, metal industry, whatever. And so they give all this kind of examples. So that's mm -hmm. where Some you of my have- best collagen research that, that I found has been in chemical journals. That's it. That's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. So that's why, you know, what I actually try to do, I try to, you know, that's where my kind of cybernetic background is coming handy as the mm -hmm. kind of meta science, right? So what is the whole idea of cybernetics is that being able to kind of do the arbitrage between sciences. So, and when somewhere you've got better understanding, better models appearing in one science, so you kind of, you want to drop the material part of it and say, okay, but where is, what is the kind of the, you know, the uh, ontology, what's the understanding there and how we can get this better understanding and plant it into the new field. So that was the, I'm sorry, it was a long preamble, no, but that's good. getting back, 
getting back to the wild and mild non we need, to, we need to establish the foundation and then we move forward yeah. yes it's it's good to so be wild and mild and wild non-linearity non so actually if you look through the literature you're not going to find those terms right so you see this has been my own compilation so mm -hmm. where i have taken the terms from uh, Mandelbrot, right? So Benoit Mandelbrot, so yep. of the fractals fame. What was the main work of Mandelbrot, right? So you see his main work was to switch their interpretation from smoothness to roughness. So he's, you know, to, to once again- his interpretation. Like science in okay. general, right. Mm -hmm. right? Because you see, look, if we look at the geometry, so geometry itself has a base that things are assumed smooth and then we calculate everything and do everything for smooth. And then we inject a certain measure of imperfection when we do things rough, right? So yeah, there's no, yeah, do the, do the ideal solution. There's no drag. Yeah, do the ideal solution. And then we kind of, uh, every time we kind of fine tune and do inject uh, the exact dose of imperfection. So Mandelbrot was doing the, so his whole shift, his whole kind of main quest was the opposite. So he was, his main quest was that roughness is fundamental. Roughness is, you know, it's the smoothness, which is subset of the roughness, not the other way around, right? So, and therefore you Looking have to study. Nature would seem to back up that observation. Yeah, that's it that was his point so and that's but the point is there was a missing mathematical framework to deal with this so that's what he was developing and fractals became just the more kind of you know known part of it but he's was talking about he was studying randomness and that's where he came with this kind of definitions of mild and wild randomness right so that's where the things are kind of you know randomness could be wildly changing right so you see like think of whatever of the stock market index right so you see wildly mm -hmm. changing mm -hmm. and mildly changing right so you see mild that would be controllable variations and wild that would be when they're oscillating Big very swings. fast yeah so mm -hmm. i've just kind of compiled those terms and sort of said okay mm -hmm. like we just take this wild and mild notion and mm -hmm. apply it just to get a better sense of their ideas for of non non linear. So, how would there. you apply that to the human body? Continue. Very simple. So, mm -hmm. you see, if we look at the other spectrum, and uh, we don't have time for that, but no, another we'll have you actually, on again. So, uh, I yeah, said, we'll but have you on see, again. I have a feeling this is going to be an ongoing dialogue. Yeah, because you see, look, another huge thing which has happened also in the science in the last kind of, you know, 10 years, it's been Carl Friston and his theory of the free energy principle, right? So you see mm -hmm. the guy who kind of transformed the theory of neurology and neuroscience and so on. So Friston is the most commonly quoted, you know, the most quoted neuroscientist alive with something like 200,000 citations. So mm -hmm. something like, like mind-blowing number right but so he came with this whole definition of the free energy principle and the distinction of kind of what is there over uh, you know like as a description based on the machine learning protocols and so on how 
the whole thing operates within you know with the brain but that's a long story to put it simple mm -hmm. and it's not simple at all no, so but... to put it to put it simple his basic statement is that if you look at the development if you look at the primary concern for any biological system it actually operates within those windows of mild and wild uh, unpredictability so the let's say the element okay. what is technically called surprisal right but surprisal means the unexpectedness and the error rate yeah and so that would be another, like the equivalent of a startle response uh, that would be kind Why? of startle response would be the that would be one, would type, be a, one type not all would be a very high surprise right the thing is that surprisal would be interpreted in terms of the error rate error rate in terms of the predicted versus actual so what is the non-linearity right so non-linearity means that if you look at this loop action reaction so that's the unpredictable response unpredictable okay. response is the one that has a high rate of errors so unpredictable things right mm -hmm. so that's exactly my point so if we look at the controllable ratios from the entry into the central nervous system so that would be this tension length you know predictable predictable tension length ratios so just to get a feel for or for us how does it work right so you see like think of your brakes pedal in the car right so what is there your entire sense of security comfort and control is based on a very precise ratio that for every thing, for every whatever angular minute mm -hmm. or every, yeah, like every angular minute of the change of the pedal position, yeah, you get you. a very precise change in stiffness, right? It's incremental. In, it's, incremental. Yeah, it's incremental, you know, that every single angular minute gives you a very precise change. But you see in the beginning, it's less, right? So, right. but then it kind of becomes stiffer. So it's variable, it changes, mm -hmm. but you know mm -hmm. it through the thing, right? So you see in yeah. that sense, oh, the closer great. you are to that. the floor, the greater is the resistance, right? Mm -hmm. But you want to know those breaks. So you see, but if, God forbid, right? So you, see, you press at the, you know, you press, and then instead of the angular minute, your foot flies five angular minutes, right? Yeah. That's a very copyright. unpleasant surprise, right? Yes, it is. It shakes everything up. So that means that then it comes, it comes, it comes with a shock. So that yeah. would be which a, would be the error. That would be the error. When you think of their like, what is the main principle on which our like uh, proprioception runs, right? So you see that we we run on the one for one way or another on a certain configuration of the stretch receptors so you know all this golgi you know let's say ruchini ruffini pacini ruchini ruffini pacini quick get robert schleip we found a new receptor the ruchini receptor robert where are you <laughs> so uh, yeah so in that sense they're all one way or another they are based on like it's a certain spirals which are based on the controllable relationship between their 
change of length and the change of tension. So right. now, if anything happens and suddenly there is a rapid change, well, that's exactly a high error rate. Okay. So, and this is basically what we are looking at, right? So you see, we are looking at the things that the primary role and the primary kind of optimization criterion for the system is minimizing this error rate. So minimizing unpredictability, being able to apply the brakes comfortably throughout all the positions. So that's okay. where we are looking. That would be more closer towards the mild non-linearity, right? So you see it's mm -hmm. non-linear, like your brakes are non-linear, right? So you see it's easier in the beginning, but harder at the mm -hmm. end. Right. But mm -hmm. they're calibrated in such a way that you are able to do this with the mild non-linearity, right? So you see that it's mm -hmm. not precise, it's not exactly calculable, but it's divided into those increments, each of them having mm -hmm. this Kind of the transition and, of the error like rate. What we were talking about earlier, it exists in a range. That's it. That's mm -hmm. it. But that yeah. range has a certain profile, right? But the thing is that what mm -hmm. you are doing, you are matching that profile. And then if there is a suddenly, it's a in a certain increment of time, there is a sudden gap, sudden change there, then you have a problem. So that's exactly the point that we have to take into account that there is everything is there that we're dealing with it's their change of tension length ratio in the increment of time so and that's basically would be the the central the central property right so the central property that i'm looking at there body talk will return after the break if we look at the you know phase one you know mm -hmm. when you are dealing with just with their, you know, like with the waviness of the tissues, right? So you see the cream. So then, yeah, so, that so we're, relationship. We're moving, we're moving from breaking to actual tissue here. And in phase yeah. one, phase one in your model, in this model, uh, would be a, a normal or natural state where the collagen uh, is in is a cream. Healthy. No, I mean, it's, it's just a, just a basic thing, right? So it's, it's okay. a basic waviness, right? So basic yeah. waviness of the, of the collagen and so mm -hmm. on. And this is where I'm kind of bringing the whole conversation to I'm saying, Hey guys, you know, like we can have all sorts of schools, all sorts of whatever, you know, conversations and all sorts of names for ourselves. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the practical, you know, like window into the reality, that's that window is represented by the stress strain curve. You do something from the outside, you get some response. And that stress strain curve is well known, right? So you yes. see, it's like mechanobiology of the tendon and so on. There are plenty of works and schematics which are showing, which are kind of describing it. And then, of course, they're using the example of a tendon as the easiest one to interpret. But that's where you have that, you know, that range from zero. So it means that you're, you're applying something with zero deformation to maximum of the 8% of the elongation, which means the breaking of the, like, uh, you know, the damage and breaking of collagen, right? Mm -hmm, so right. that's this spectrum from zero to 8%. That would be the, the possible 
change that the collagen bundles are able to experience. So, of course, if it's elastin, it's going to be larger, but it's going to be larger just in numbers. It's going to have slightly different profile, but it's still going to be the same type of the curve. Okay. So maybe it's going to be from zero to 20 or to 30%, but it doesn't matter. So we're, we're, we're focusing on this collagen bundle and hmm. how it is reacting to stress and strain, but then you've got the upstream and downstream effects because that, that collagen bundle does not exist, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, as an oasis in the body. It's part mm. of the whole system. So it's going to, that stress strain is going to have more of an, more of an effect on more than just that local area. So how do you, how do you, uh -huh. you see here, yes. you've got your non-locality, right? Uh, yes. So explain <laughs> so, that, sir. So that would be the period. That would be the paradynamic things. But you see, let me just before that, let me, uh, let okay. me finish it with sure. that. So you see, the thing is that what we have to understand there is that fundamentally, if we talk about the system which has natural waviness, right? So you see natural certain, you know, as a, and that natural waviness is characteristic to any tissue, right? Because there's all some somewhat spiralized. So that's mm -hmm. why we have a natural waviness, which is present at all the tissues, right? Yes. So, that means that whatever tissue we're looking at locally or globally, right? So you see in that sense, since it's a property which is kind of present throughout all of them, then we have to, you know, that's a very important sort of curve, very important uh, curve for us to study. So and to understand what are the qualitative kind of phases that they could be in. And that's what, so you see, when you look at this, kind of graph mechanobiology of a tendon mm -hmm. so we should generalize it in the sense okay so mechanobiology of the muscle is going to be somewhat different mechanobiology from local to non-local is going it's to be, be different, different. Yeah. but the critical thing for us is first to define the phases it's like you know we have the phases of matter the gas the liquid you know the solid right so ice water and uh, vapor. So, so, so you're trying to define the phases of soft tissue. That's it. Okay. So basically what I'm saying is that what we have through this mechanobiology of the tendon is basically defining those, you know, the properties of the soft tissues so that it has the capacity to be in four distinct phases. So phase one, that's their crimp phase, mm -hmm. right? So you see, this is the phase where it has the waviness. So that means it has the spare length and that's a most wildly unpredictable situation because if you take any kind of, well, I mean, unfortunately I don't have, you know, anything to deal with, right? But you uh -huh. see, if I take anything which is kind of waved, mm -hmm. right? So you see when I try to change, you know, changing wire. the length of the wave, of the wavy, mm -hmm. of the wavy thing, it I don't have, the length is going to change significantly, but the tension is not going to change. The tension itself within yes. it is not going to change, right? So you see, that's why this relationship is very unpredictable. So mm -hmm. you can't, can, you know, can, so can in that sense, any direction. yeah, that would be wildly nonlinear, right? Oh, cool, got it. So wildly nonlinear, you know, like also, 
if you think of kind of example that should be familiar to more or less uh, anyone, right? So think about inflating uh, the bicycle tire, right? When it's been, you know, when it's flat. So you see first you're pumping, 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 and you're touching it with your finger. It seems like, you know, gee, is it leaking somewhere, right? Because, you know, you try to touch it, but they, it remains compliant. The stiffness doesn't change. So you put things in, the mechanical properties do not change. So then suddenly, when you get closer to 85, 90% of the fill up, then suddenly you start feeling, oh, wow, every single extra pump dramatically changes the property. So that will be in the beginning, that's wild non-linearity, and then it becomes mild. Yes, as it as as the as as the, you get as, as you strain. get closer to that phase transition. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So, so what, what's phase three? So that that's where we have it. So therefore, that's why we have the phase one. That's the waviness. Mm -hmm. Then we have a very small transition, the phase two. So the phase two is that where it goes from the state of mm -hmm. being uh, in that wavy state where it kind of flattens, okay. but there is yet no internal, you know, it's not strong enough so that it's that there is the stress is low enough that there is no internal deformation. So there's no okay. micro injuries inside. So the internal composition is right. not so it's overly under more strain but it's not overly stressed but that's a very narrow that's it so that of, would be that phase uh, two possibilities okay Perfect. that would be the phase two so that's the phase two which is the quasi linear part right mm -hmm. because it's a quasi linear part so this is where it's under the loads you can't get you see that's a very important thing you okay. can there is a history there you cannot get into the phase two without traveling through phase one okay that's very important because you know it's a collection of phases right you a have body, to... you could have all four phases in different places well, hopefully you don't have the phase four, right? So, <laughs> no, no, having phase four would be bad. So, and that <laughs> brings us to the next point, right? So, you see the forceful releases where you would be expecting there, you know, like that's what everybody is talking about. I release the fascia, you see, like I feel how the, you know, the expectations that the collagen bundles they have to break under the loads right so you see to release the shortened thing and my whole point is this saying guys in reality right because you see i coming from the family of the practitioners in a brutal russian way you know my father has been practicing in the early <laughs> 90s you know he started his kind of career with the really like you know he was my father is I know, like I've never met the person who would be so superbly skilled in manipulations, right? So you mm -hmm. see, like, and mind it, you know, he's a, you know, in like he's a six foot two, two hundred and sixty pounds Greco-Roman wrestler. Oh man, I know exactly the person I want to send to him for treatment. So, but you know, he doesn't do this anymore, right? But no, I wouldn't think so. 
But my point is that in the early 90s, he would be working in the kind of manipulative things, okay, fixing things. And so mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. was extremely painful, right? So yes. it's like literally just like repositioning and placing. And that was in a way mm-hmm. that was pre civilization in that same point right okay. so you see no yeah. one would ever allow do this in the west no one ever allowed to do this in the russia those soviet people they were made of steel right so you see, oh, I they were... I, i'm thinking of a very specific patient i won't mention his name this was years and years ago and i could tell what he wanted and what i did was not coming together so i just said <laughs> okay i don't think we're a good fit and he says yes you want me to do too many things roll over move stretch move this way i just want to lie down and be brutalized <laughs> well, and you see what my father was able to deliver back in the days and but you know he might you know that was 30 plus years ago right so you see he yeah. milded you know as the years passed by he milded and moved more towards you know the you know the the, the softer kind of the techniques well, he, he refined it he refined it i have very vivid personal memory understanding what does it take to uh, deliver the impacts which correspond to phase three. Okay. Yes. Right. So you see what my father has been delivering, those were matching, right? So you see, mm-hmm. if that was a scar, if that was a contracture, okay, guys, now we're gonna get this into the such a phase that you know what it's it's gonna be controllable, but indeed the tissue would break there, right? Mm-hmm. So and so he was delivering the loads of that controllable but you know like a certain obvious chunk of micro injuries which sometimes would be a lot of micro injuries right yes so when people would need you know a couple of weeks to heal and something else so but that's why when i looked at the people who are mild i say hey guys you know like what you are doing you know you are not even remotely bringing anything close to the intensity which is necessary for the releases it doesn't Mm. exist in the western world you know like i have touched maybe 30 years ago i touched the last kind of bunch of people who who were really brutal right you know and yeah. it's not only my father wasn't that went through that phase in itself but i also knew lots of people you know from that crowd who were you know in the different techniques and so on but they were delivering the serious loads and that is not possible you know like in america or in europe this is not possible these people would not sur- like it's a very special kind of people who would be able to tolerate that it's kind of it's a it's from it's a from the bygone era nobody is able to tolerate this you know like we don't we are not made like this anymore right Mm -hmm. so that's why when i'm saying when i'm hearing people saying i'm doing the release saying no you're not you know like you have to like throw away this definition you are not in the phase three you're just it's just intellectual inertia maybe some intellectual laziness you are not in the phase three you are not delivering those forces in the concentration and loads and specificity high enough to really break those mm-hmm. bundles yes. at the same time i'm not saying that you guys are delusional you know since you're not delivering those yeah. those uh, hundreds of pounds of forces that you you what you're doing is not working no what i'm saying is that what you're doing is working 
but you are having a completely wrong model for that. You are okay. you are working in the 21st century. You know, you're working in the mild form and so on. You're working in the controlled, mild nonlinearity, but you are still intellectually interpreting it as they're like ancient linear models and thinking in terms of their kind of simple things. Okay, this is the tissue I bring. Yeah. That's where we get back to where what we started our conversation from from so what model what model should we be using humphreys in that sense well but mm -hmm. humphreys is an interesting guy in the way that in one with one hand he writes what he writes about mechanical homeostasis mm -hmm. so that the system is capable of self-regulation that's so right. that this is really what we need to get so you see basically what we need for all this thing is just that we just need mm -hmm. the four prints to for any kind of remodeling right so you see we need four principal components of the mechanical homeostasis so compliance down mm -hmm. compliance up stiffness down stiffness up in other words we need to be able to create new fibers and we need to be able to break the old fibers right we mm -hmm. need to be able to create the new um, gags right so you see the right. new gels right so you see and then we will need to be able to break the old ones so this is all that you need as the kind of constituents there so my point is to really get the people to understand Hey guys, we are not in the interaction mm -hmm. and interaction from the physics perspectives is when you are doing something cross past the interface that when you are yeah. doing something inside the system in the unconditional logic, I do this, I break the bundle. That's unconditional. Yeah. If I, think, I, I think that's why Palat calls it induction. Induction is and a I, good I'm term. starting to really like that word. I'm starting to really like that mm. word because release, you know, you get that, well, what are you releasing? And I, I just want to run this past you, see what you think. But I've been trying to redefine the term release as the subjective experience of the person of the sensation of something letting go. That's and that right. doesn't mean that we're doing the other thing. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. but you see, look, you know, this is it. This is it. You see, because that's the point is that, you know, we are dealing with a crowd which is very sensitive, right? So you see, which is, you know, very sensorially advanced, mm -hmm. sensitive mm -hmm. and sensorially advanced. Yes. And you see, look, I mean, I'll be very honest with you, very honest with you. I am not a very super gifted person in terms of their, like, whatever my tactile skills i you know mm -hmm. do it with the brain mostly right so you okay. see i know exactly what i want and so on but the fact is that it's a very simple example right so you see like at, in berlin in 2018 you know like i think that i missed i don't know like i got somewhere between the 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 lectures or something like that and then i went upstairs when they had Robert had this test uh, pet, oh, yeah, the, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. for, you know, how well do you perceive steepness and compliance there, right? Mm -hmm. So you see the define the differences between the two materials, right? So I did the self-test, right? Mm -hmm. So you see, I think there were 10, 10 uh, samples there or something yeah. like that. So 
I think that I scored five or six, something like this. I said, mm, Jesus, you know. And then mm -hmm. I, you know, because the girl who was attending it, yeah, she left. So and I kind of semi-violated the privacy and I flipped <laughs> through the through the records of the people yeah. before me. There were plenty of people, plenty mm -hmm. of people who scored eight, nine, and even ten out of ten. Yeah, I had a similar experience to you, including looking at what some of the other scores were. But but my excuse was that uh, I probably got about four hours sleep. So I was not on my <laughs> A game. I'm not going to spend I only got four hours sleep. That's a different podcast. But so, um, I'm sticking to that story. But my point is that is that what you have, you have people with really refined skills. Mm -hmm. And that's why they really, first of all, they trust their sensations. But when it comes to refinement of their, you know, like models, interpretations, that's not the, the, the greatest strength of our crowd. It's actually much simpler. You see, you know, what Yap van der Waal calls the biological dialogue, right? So yes. in that sense, it's a really important thing. What is interaction? Interaction in physics sense, it's their monologue. You are imposing something on the tissue. Dialogue means that you are dealing with the system, with the, you know, with the homeostasis that runs by itself, that has own priorities. And you are actually bringing yourself at the interface. You can call it induction to terms or, you know, mm -hmm. introduction. You can kind of grade those things, right? Yeah. So, and then effectively, it's conditional logic. Right, it's a transaction, mm, conditional yeah. logic. It's up to the system whether to take your input or not, yes, and reset itself to the lower to 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 the next level, right? And that's what I was covering in the next, yeah, uh, you know, I getting love, further there. It is a dialogue. It is it is a it is a that's conversation it. without words between two intelligent systems. And then we have this then we have this perfect term for this, the metastable situation, right? So you see, because every system is in the metastable condition. Mm -hmm. So what you're able, metastable means that it's, and that's kind of part taken from the paradynamics and all these things. So you see, like when you look at a certain region, right? So you see, that's the critical part. So we talk about the regional area. So this regional area, at a certain scale, let's say at a scale of centimeters, okay. it has distributed in such a way that it has built whatever the bridge. It it made a certain it's it's stabilized at the level of the scale of the scale of of centimeters. But within millimeters within it, you know, one part would be overly stiff, and the other part would be okay. overly compliant. Mm -hmm. Right. Got so it. you see, in that sense, that's what you often see. So when you have the muscle, you know, tension or the muscle stiffness, it's surrounded by their, you know, emptiness, by weakness, by slippery skin and all these other factors. Right. So it's yeah. the fact that as a kind of uh, like a certain like a square inch or whatever, a few square inches, it holds together, but the components of it they are being in the opposite phases. One is over compliant, the other one is overly stiff. When you overlap one onto another, that gives you a metastable situation. But the metastable situation is kind of, it, 
it's it's locked in that kind of re, in the local energy minimum. It has its benefits. It's a local energy minimum, but in order to find the more global energy minimum, somebody has to help it to go over the bump. Yes. So and then it will take their next energy minimum. It so needs basically, to be lightly perturbed. That's it. In, lightly in perturbed in a precise form. In the desired and direction. Not just lightly perturbed, but this is where you want to perturb it in the controlled error way, right? So with the minimal error rate. Uh, That's where we come yes. to this, so that then it would be like interpreted as the positive positive transaction. So that's transaction happens within the system. We are the conduits. We are kind of bringing the dialogue, and that's the thing that we are, want to bring there. We want to bring there, there, you know, bring the system towards the next more favorable metastable state. And my point is, what we experience as releases mm -hmm. is actually that. Yeah, I, I'm in absolute. Is a transition to their to transition from one local minimum, you know, one minimum, one one local minimum, one local energy minimum to a going over the bump and then getting into the next energy minimum. And then, of course, we have all these experiences, release, you know, like additional, you know, like sensations. It could be some discharge. It could be whatever, some shivering. It could be, you know, all sorts of like wonderful things that we, you know, like dissipative things that we, that we, uh, you know, register with the hands and with the, and through the behavior of the, that's really the logic is that you are not, you know, my message is actually quite simple. What you are doing, you are actually doing the transition from phase one into phase two. Then you are stacking those phase twos, right? You are able to right. stack them one after another. And that is what is a high skill of the practitioner, because that's yeah. what you that, get from the That to me becomes a good working model for resiliency, stacking those twos. Then you're stacking. So because and that's what the skill of the practitioner is that you're able to catch. And, you know, that's why I was talking about the history, right? The history phase one to phase two. So when the release to the next metastable condition happens, you keep the regional presence, right? Because if you take your hands off, mm -hmm. that will disappear. You will have to reconnect again. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, by keeping your hands on, you are keeping the regional context. The regional context remains the same. You're maintaining the phase two, but then you are able to stack and track it and kind of within the current common, within the region, you're able to add and get more of the local metastable transitions. And if you're lucky, then you would also have there, you know, from the regional, you would also have the global metastable transitions as well when the whole system is going to reset. We are using the old, outdated release models, which is based on forces, which we never really attain. And we, the whole thing that the, 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 the actual practitioners are moving into being milder, milder, and milder, they mm -hmm. keep those fruit, fruitless arguments. Are we moving those sutures? It doesn't matter. <laughs> 
the thing is that you know you see you are the conduit of be of dealing with the metastable states of the upper neurosis of the way that it's you know you are the conduit so you see that it has metastable states packed within it and those metastable states would have different stiffness and compliance ratios especially if you catch it during this kind of transition phases from one metastable state to another so that would feel like movement like you know breathing skull or something like this which is going to feel like you know like oh this skull is hard this skull is this skull is soft you know you see if you try to explain it to any material person saying like you know you know i feel that if you give me a hundred heads you know let's say half of them are going to feel hard and half of them are going to feel soft like what kind of craziness is that, right? So you see, if we start measuring them with any kind of material meter, it doesn't make mm -hmm. sense. But yeah. once you understand that each of those heads are main, is maintaining its own metastable state, mm -hmm. and you are able to perceive it, of course, because you have your own, you know, your own interface which runs on the same principle and so on. Right. So, well, basically, you are absolutely fine to travel through those metastable states. And of course, when you get the experience, it's going to be different. And that also kind of handles this whole point because, you know, I, I used to read all these things like the quack watch and the, this kind of, uh, you know, debunkers of their yeah. osteopathy and mm -hmm. whatever, you know. And that's what they kind of keep bringing. Well, you know, these guys are not able to provide the inter- rater reliability Ability, and yes, if we do the yes. blind test mm -hmm. and so on and so forth well not a surprise because it's the dialogue of two sides you have your own stiffness and compliance ratio you stack it differently and so on so but my point is that once we don't if we don't try to, to bring our argument to the phase three and keep it within the transitions between the phase one and, and two, phase two, then we are actually absolutely fine. And then we have all these new sciences there to help mm -hmm. us and actually to help us with the understanding. Leonid, thank you. This has been fantastic, but my metastable state needs to change to a different linearity. <laughs> Uh, I think we could go on for another hour easily, but I I have a hard break here in five minutes. I want to thank you for dropping by on the pod and uh, listeners. Just a reminder, you have any questions for me? You have any questions for Leonid? Because I'm going to bet you do. Just send those to me at bodytalkdavid at gmail.com or DM me on social media because I want to get Leonid back in and I'd love to get your input. Leonid, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, David. Have okay. a great day, my friend. Bye-bye. Ciao. Ciao. Thanks for listening to another episode of Body Talk. Remember to support the show at patreon.com backslash body talk radio. Want to get in touch? Find me on social media or email me at bodytalkdavid at gmail.com. Remember to leave reviews wherever fine podcasts are found and as always the music you hear on the show is by david and the disasters see you next time on body talk <laughs>